morning scripture reading comes from Matthew chapter 6, verses 31 through 33. I'm going to be reading from the uh, New Living Testament. So do not worry about these things, saying, What will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heaven, heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. Good morning. Very glad to see you today. Thank you for being here. Thank you those who are watching on live stream today. We are glad that you have chosen of all places to be here today and uh, to worship. It's been exciting today as we're talking about the planning of the, the new congregation. Uh, uh, what sometimes we don't realize is that uh, that opportunity seems to be rare, and it's something we ought to be very excited about. We want to pray for them as we see God's kingdom continue to expand, and we want them to just uh, be blessed as we are a part of that. Let's go to God in prayer as we begin. Our Heavenly Father, you are amazing and you are awesome, and we are thankful today to be able to gather here to spend time in your word. Lord, help us to see your word, to see it clearly. Help us to, to shine a light on us and, and our lives. And, and Lord, help us to learn from your word and help us to live it out and help us today to make a decision to put your kingdom first. In Christ, we pray. Amen. This, uh, this year, uh, we uh, have a Bible reading schedule each year. If you would like to pick that up, it, it is in the window seals. Pick that up on your way out. Because this year we're going to be focusing on something different. Last year, y'all, uh, as a congregation, focused on uh, the, the word beyond. This year we're going to have a, a different focus. I want you to read with me again Matthew six thirty three that was just read for us. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Let's stop there just for a second. I grew up reading this verse over and over and over and over again. It a, we have sang it. Uh, we sing it. It was one of the beautiful songs where the, the, the women sort of sing Apocalypse Canon behind it. If you sort of hear the chord changes through, it's a, it's a beautiful song. And, and as you go through it, if you were to say, Craig, what does this verse mean? I would say it means seek God first. And I would go right in and I could preach you a sermon about that. I've heard many sermons preached about priorities when it looks at this verse. And we talk about seek God first, seek God's first. The problem is I have left a word out of that most of my life. And that word is kingdom. It's a big word. It's a word we're going to spend a year talking about. It's a word I want us to think about because we are to be God's kingdom here on earth and there is a kingdom to come. We're, it is something awesome that we are a part of, something that can never be shaking, something that will never go away, realizing that at some point in time, Jesus will return and he will do what? He will hand his bride over to his father, returning back, which is what? The kingdom handed over by the king. See, it's a big word and it's something that I, I want us to focus on this year. See, I think it's a challenge for us because kingdom is not something we talk about on, on a regular basis. But if you're going to have a kingdom, we think about many times we talk about kingdom, we talk about land, and we talk about area. We, we talk about maybe a purpose a kingdom has. But I'm going to tell you, what we want to focus on this morning is our king. Without a king, there is no kingdom. So today, let's focus 
on a king. See, we're told the king of this kingdom is Jesus, and we've told that through Scripture. It is prophesied. He, he will be a king of king and lord of lords. We will see that, but also it is something he says about himself. The big question for us to answer this morning, and not just this morning, it's a question we must answer every day when we get up, is Jesus my king? Will he be the one that I focus on? Will he be the one that I worship? Will he be the one that I listen to? Will he be the one that, that, uh, that I put my trust in? Is Jesus my king? See, I know that's a very, very pointed question because in every relationship you have that moment. It's called the DTR moment. It's the, the define the relationship moment. If you were married, you had that moment. Will you marry me? Yes, we defined it. I do, I do. It has been defined, correct? You have that. We Are we just hanging out? Do you like me as much as I like you? So there was a girl in college I liked a lot. It turns out I liked her and she liked the thought of me buying her supper. Okay? I'm, I'm glad that's what she liked. I ended up much, much better off. But it is funny. When, I have to always be careful. I have to look over and go, do I have to apologize now or later? Um But you may have had that moment, that define the relationship moment, and most of us have. And the thing is, it's funny. See, uh, at one time, uh, I went to Fairview Harm University, but I didn't go during when the world was black and white. That's when JT was there the first time, okay? He went there when Fred Harmon was black, black and white throughout the world. And, and you look, and it had some certain rules about dating. Did you know that during that time you had the double date? You, you couldn't just go on a single date, and you could only date one night a week, either Friday night or Saturday night. It was designated what nights you could go out on. It was something, again, and, and it was you, you went out, and you had your date, and it had to be a double date. Not only that, you could not hold hands. There was to, was to be no PDA, no public displays of affection. And so for at least a short time in Freak Hardeman's history, what they had was a dating stick. You think I'm kidding? I'm not. It's in the historical room there. If you wanted to date someone, you held on the stick, and they held on the other side of the stick, and y'all just walked around. 18-inch piece of wood in between you. Some of y'all that have daughters go, that's not a bad idea. She could take it away and whip him with it if he caused problems. We might want to bring that back, Philip. It's not a bad idea. See, there were rules about that, and, and there, there were certain things. I went there whenever thing went to Technicolor. It was a different time. And see, it was funny as, as we were there together. Again, you had to have those define the relationship moments. Uh, many, uh, you could date as much as somebody would go out with you. As often you buy somebody supper, you could go out to eat. You could have somebody to go with. Many dates consisted of going to worship with one another. Why? Because it was free. We'd go worship God together at Henderson or at Estes. And you had a curfew, you had to be back in. But people were always wondering, are they a couple yet? Are they getting married as of, of yet? And, and it's one thing that said, I've heard it said at Harding too, we had uh, swings all through campus. And if you saw somebody in a swing with somebody more than three times, it was three, three swings in a ring, okay? It was something that you went through with and, and you saw, okay, we've seen them in a swing together three times. They must be about to get married. He's about to go to Madison Jewelers and Jackson buy himself a ring, actually her ring, okay? It's funny because it seemed like the whole time there, there was this underlying pressure to def define that relationship. I had a, a friend who uh, w really, really liked this young lady. And she was in a, uh, 
uh, a performance on campus, and it's sort of customary if somebody's in a, a dramatic type performance that they're in a play that you buy them flowers. That's that is what you do. And and we had found a place in Lexington, Tennessee, that had roses, uh, a, a, a ten dollars for a dozen roses, cash and carry. Some of y'all are going. That sounds really good. It is. You can make one woman really happy or 12 pretty happy. It, it was one of those things. You know, you could go there and you could buy roses. And somehow, we started talking about him giving her roses at, at their performances. I don't think we suggested it. I don't know if we egged it on. But somehow, we believed it was a good idea, or at least he did, to give her one dozen roses for the first performance, two dozen for the second, three dozen for the third, and the last one it would be four dozen roses. Uh, my math isn't great. I think that's 10 dozen roses. I think that's 120 roses before this is over. And you would think she would be ecstatic. And afterwards they had that, 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 that meeting together where they were going to talk and he was excited to, to be able to talk with her. And what he learned during that meeting was she, had a, she decided to define the relationship. She said, evidently you like me more than I like you. That was not a fun moment for him. He married very well. He did very well and that young lady married somebody else very well too. But that moment is a hard moment when you find out that you like somebody more than they like you or that they like you a lot more than you like them. The thing is, this morning, of all the relationships you have to define, outside of your marriage, can I tell you the most important one is your relationship with God. You have to determine who is he to you. It is a big deal. See, when Jesus came to this earth after he had been baptized, what he did is he spent his life going around and making a difference in the lives of others. We see that in Matthew chapter 15, beginning verse 29. A day in the life of Jesus. Jesus went on from there and walked beside the Sea of Galilee, and he went up on a mountain and sat down there, and great crowds came to him, bringing with them the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others, and they put him at his feet, and he healed them. And then the crowd wondered when they saw the mute speaking and the crippled uh, healthy, the lame walking and the blind seeing, and they glorified the God of Israel. This wonder does not, they sit around and thought about it. It means they were in awe. They were in wonder about it. What do you think they did? I'm going to tell you, if I saw somebody heal a lame person, I would drive to Parsons, Tennessee right now and pick up my daddy. And I would drive him to wherever they are. If we saw this happening, we would be backing up vehicles to Vanderbilt Children's Hospital. We'd be sending people to St. Jude's Children's Hospital. We would be, or we'd say, Jesus, we, we need you to take a trip with us. We, we want to see this done. That is what happened. People start telling one another and they are coming into his presence. See, when Jesus was on earth, he was the greatest show on earth. Forget the circus, it was Jesus. People wanted to see people healed. Whether you wanted to be healed, you wanted to see this process happen. This is a picture at Neyland Stadium, and it holds about 108,000 people. Can I tell you, if Jesus were there today, and he had gone around performing miracles in this world, and he were there today, it'd be that full. Not only would that be full, the, 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 the field would be full. People would be waiting outside if this were that. Why? Because people want something. People need something, and they would be coming to him. That is why after he has baptized these people, I mean, after he has been baptized, after he's done doing his ministry, going around and healing people, it says what? That 4,000 people were following him. 
It says here in Matthew chapter 15, it says, Jesus called his disciples and said, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And I am unwilling to send them away hungry lest they faint on the way. And the disciples said to him, where do we get enough bread in a desolate place to feed so great a crowd? So he's about to teach a lesson to his disciples that he can provide. But what does this tell us? One, Jesus is compassionate, but two, that people were following and following and coming after him when they saw these amazing things that he could do. Can I tell you, Jesus had fans. There were people who thought he was great, who thought he could do amazing things, so they followed him. This morning, are you a fan of his? You like what you get from him? Are you a true follower? See, that's a question we must ask every day. And the, Is he your Lord? Is he your King? Is he your God? Do you see him as that? You have to make that decision. And we realize that is a decision we make, and that's why we, we talk about uh, the plan of salvation. We talk about somebody confessing that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That is more than just repeating that. It is more than just somebody saying, do you believe Jesus Christ, Son of God, and nodding your head yes or saying yes. What you are really saying is you are saying something publicly, something out loud, that you believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that you will acknowledge Him as such. That you will see Him as Lord, that you will see Him as King, and therefore your life will be followed and suited after that thought that He is your King. See, after all this happens, Jesus sits down with his disciples. You can imagine they wanted a breath, right? Can you imagine what it was like to pass out baskets to 4,000 and to take those up and to be in a crowd of people who are following Jesus around and, and they get a chance to sit down with Jesus and, and Jesus asks this great question. It is a question for all to answer. He says, who does man say that I am? What a great question. In other words, as these guys are going out and passing out baskets... What did they overhear people say? What did you hear people say about me as they're eating? What did you hear them say? And some people say, man, some people think you're Elijah. Some people think you're John the Baptist Go, going on. They're going through different things. They are repeating what they have heard other people say. And then Jesus asked one of the most personal questions that can ever be asked. No, but who do you say that I am? See, it's a personal and pointed question. And Simon Peter answers the question. He says that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You are what? You are God. You are Lord. You are King. You are the Messiah, the Christos. You are. That is who you are. That is what he is saying. And the thing is, we all must answer that question. This morning, if I were to ask you, who do you believe Christ is? Would you say that He is the Son of the living God? He is the King. He, he is my Lord. He is the one that I follow. What answer would you have? See, throughout the world and throughout all time, there have been skeptics. We talked about that in our Bible class this morning. Tim Barton did an excellent job talking about, in First John, talking about those who deny Christ. They deny that He is the anointed one of God. And the thing is, we must, uh, in order to be pleasing to him, in order to be a part of his kingdom, we have to recognize him as king. Sometimes we, we forget that. 
See, when Jesus was on earth, when they asked, as, as Jesus has already died and been buried and resurrected and ascended back to the Father, we read in Acts chapter 10, it said how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth. They're telling about this with the Holy Spirit and power. He went around doing good, healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Here's what's amazing. If you were to ask the average person on the street who Jesus was, that's what many people would say. He's a guy who did some really good things. He loved people. He was kind to people. He healed people. And if you said, do you think we should be like Jesus? Many of them would say, yes, we should be like Jesus. We should love everybody. That's who, who we should be. But see, you need to realize that he was more than just a good man or a good moral teacher. They would say, hey, that, that whole treat other people the way you want to be treated, that really is a golden rule. That is something that we should follow. But Jesus was more than just a good man. He was more than just a great moral teacher. When we think about him, let's, let's see what he said about himself. He said, I am God. In John chapter 10, he said, I and the Father are one. In other words, he's God, I'm God. He's not saying we're close. He's not saying we're tight. He's saying we are the same. Verse 31 says, and again, the Jewish opponents picked up the stones to stone him. I don't know if they just had a pile of stones at their feet and they dropped them and they just keep picking them back up. Can you imagine? They pick up these rocks to throw them at him. But Jesus said to them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which one of these do you want to stone me? We are not stoning you for a good work, they replied, but for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, have claimed to be God. Jesus claimed to be God. Do you believe him? See, it's not just there. If we go to the book of Mark, chapter 14, it says, but he remained silent and made no answer. And again, the high priest, this is Jesus, asked Jesus, are you the Christ, the son of the blessed? And Jesus said, I am. Hmm. And you will see me, the son of man, seated at the right hand of power coming with the clouds of heaven. Wow, what a bold statement. He has said, I am God, I'm Lord. And then he has a conversation with Pilate that he doesn't speak a lot in. He allows Pilate to speak while Jesus has gone through being beaten and being mocked and all these things. Uh, he, Pilate says, and Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? And he answered, you have said so. In other words, yes. <laughs> so Jesus said, I am Lord and, and I am God, I am king. And the thing is, we have to decide, is he that to us? If he claims that he is that, and he's being truthful, I believe we must believe him. See, here's the thing. To, to make that bold a statement, if he says that, and he knows it's not true, then he's a liar. If Jesus claims to be king, if he claims to be God, if he claims to be Lord, and it's not true, and he knows it not to be true, then he is a liar. If he's a liar, how should that make us feel? How do you feel when you're lied to? There's probably very few things that evoke anger like being lied to. Several years ago, at a, I believe it was a restaurant that was in Florida, they had a, 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 a contest during the month of March in whichever waitress had, or, or wait staff had the highest uh, sales for that month would be given a brand new Toyota. 
They built it up and said, on April 1st, we will give away this great prize. That's what they were going to do. So the whole month, they kept up with it. People could see the chart going and who had the most sales. And at the end of that month, uh, a lady by the name of Jody Berry won, and they were going to present her her brand-new Toyota in the parking lot of this restaurant, and they did. They gave her an actual toy. Yoda. She was not impressed. Would it be cool to have that Toyota? Yes, but it's not the same thing. Can you imagine in your mind believing that you're about to be given a brand new Camry? Or at that time, maybe a brand new Supra, which is an awesome car, by the way. Or maybe an FJ Cruiser or, or a Tacoma or a Tundra. You're thinking, wow, this could be awesome to have this. And all of a sudden, they hand you a 15-inch uh, toy. Well, she was unhappy. She felt that she had been lied to, and she had been. And they said, well, it's April Fool's. You should have known. Well, evidently the judge thought it was April Fool's because they got to buy her a new car. But she was angry. <laughs> if you've seen the Avenger stuff, Hulk gets angry. We get angry when we are lied to. I, I can tell you, uh, I have seen disappointment in my parents' face at stuff I've done. Can I tell you? Lying to them is one of those greatest you can tell. You can tell because there's something about lying. Can I tell you, if Jesus Christ claims to be God, if he claims to be Lord, and he claims to be king, and he is not, he has lied to us. If he knows that he's not and he has said that, then, then he is a liar. And, and, and the thing is, can he be a good man, a good moral teacher and lie to us? No, he cannot do that and purposely lies to us. So he, he, so either he's a liar if he has said this, if he says this and knows that it's, knows that it's wrong, he's a liar. What if he says this and believes that he is and he's not? That'd make him a lunatic. In the South, we'd say he ain't right. Listen, there have been many people who've claimed to be Christ. You know that, right? People who've started their own cults, own followings, everything else. They said that I'm the Son of God, I am God's anointed. This is not just something that happened back during that time. This is something that happens still today. We, we can go through and, and we could talk about the, the false preachers who have come out and said that they are the Son of God. Now, some of them said it and believed it. Some of them said it, lied to manipulate people. But if Jesus said it and believed it and he's not, then he would have to be somebody who, who is not right. Several years ago, I got through preaching and walked out in the lobby of the, uh, the old Spring Hill Church building, and there was a guy just hanging out in the lobby. And he was facing away from me. We had a real small track rack back there, track rack in the back. I, that's why I always laughed at those all going together. But he was back there looking at him. I said, sir, hey, can I help you? And he turned around, and he said, my name is so-and-so. He said, I'm sure you've heard of me. I said, I haven't. He said, well, I have a, a website and a blog and all this stuff, and I, I put recordings on there all the time, which I realized I was being recording because he had a voice recorder tied with yarn around his neck. I said, I haven't. He said, well, you should have heard of me. He said, my name is so-and-so, and I am an apostle with the churches of Christ with the Elijah calling. It's just like y'all, but a lot better. Okay, that's interesting thought. 
I said, well, well, how can I help you? I said, are you looking for a church home? And he said, no, I'm here to get people from my church. I didn't really know how to, to answer that. I said, well, how many go to your church now? He said, one. I said, well, I'm not sure how much you'll be able to convince people here to leave, but uh, you're welcome to come here. I said, but we've already got a preacher. It's me. So I'm not sure you'll get to preach a whole lot, but uh, he said, well, I've got the power of the Holy Spirit. I am an apostle. He said, I spend all day doing exorcisms. And, and I was being a uh, smarty right there. I said, I didn't realize we had such a need for that in Spring Hill. All day, every day. And he said, yes, that's what I do. And he said, you can tell me not to come to church here. I said, I haven't done that. I, I said, I, we were inviting you to, to be here. I said, but I'm the preacher. He said, but if you ask me not to speak, you need to realize that I will go to the highest place in this city and I will pray that God sends down fire and brimstone to destroy you and your church. That's the first time I had heard that. I said, well, uh, how, can I, how can I help you? He said, uh, Craig, when were you called into ministry? That's always an interesting question, is it not? I said, I guess when Billy Smith called me and told me I had a Bible scholarship. I guess that's when I was called into ministry. And, uh, and uh, he said, I was called in December of 1969 when the unnamed angel of Revelation 14 visited me in my room. Would you like to know his name? Well, yes. That might be the ultimate Bible Bowl question sometime. Answers Elijah, the Elijah calling. That's what he told me. That was it. Well, we talked for a while and uh, did a little research on him. He had just gotten out of prison. He should have been in a mental health facility. And it ended up that uh, because he had, uh, well, he was on the registry, but we had to ask him to not worship with us. We said, we'll come worship with you. And what he did was he went to the highest spot in Spring Hill, which evidently is the Home Depot parking lot. And he did pray that God would send down fire and brimstone to destroy our church and destroy me. Do I think that man had any true ill will? No, that man was truly disturbed. I felt bad for him. He, he believed everything he said. Now, if Jesus claimed to be the Son of God, claimed to be a king, and meant everything he said but wasn't trying to be dishonest, then he would be a lunatic. Can I tell you, we shouldn't be following him then. But, look what they said about him in the first century. It's amazing. As Jesus was doing his ministry, uh, it said, whenever the unclean spirits in Mark chapter 3 saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, you are the Son of God. The unclean spirits recognized Jesus as the Son of God, but look what his family said about him in Mark 3 verse 20. Said so then he went home, Jesus went home, and the crowd gathered again so that some that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying he is out of his mind. Don't you like to go home for comfort? Don't you like to go home for it to be a safe place? We want our homes to be a safe place for our families, for our children. We want it to be their safe place. And Jesus goes home, and the, what his parents say is he's out of his mind. The demons recognize he's the son of God. His parents are like he's, and his brothers and sisters, he's speaking out of his head. 
But if Jesus is not a liar, and I do not believe that he is, he's not a lunatic, and I do not believe that he is, well, that only leaves one option. If he claims to be God, and he claims to be king, and he's telling the truth, then Jesus is Lord. And Jesus is king. And Jesus is God, and, and, and then we have responsibilities. If that's the case, we have to define our, our relationship with him. Is he my Lord and my God and my King? I have to define that and make that determination for myself. And then what? If he is Lord, God, and King, then he is worthy of my love. He is worthy of my worship. He's worthy of my obedience. See, a king can command that. A king can demand that. Our king allows you to choose. He's not going to make you follow him if you don't want to. He wants you to because all the goodness that is, that is here is in him. All the blessings are in him. All the, the blessings here and in the next life are in him. He wants us to be with him. Is he your Lord? Is he your king? And the thing is, when we think about kingdom, I want to make sure I'm a part of his kingdom and that he is my king. If he's not my king, I'm not a part of his kingdom. I'm not. What stops some of us from making him our king and our Lord? For some of us, it's a pride. We just don't think we need him. I don't need a savior. I don't need a king. I'm doing a pretty good job on my own. I'll drive my own boat. I'll do what I want to do. I don't need him. See, I'm not really that bad. I'm not really that bad, so I really don't need him. I'll just need him a little bit. I'll need him Sunday morning sometimes. I'll need him when my life might be falling apart, but I don't need him all the time. There's others out of selfishness. They're like, I just don't want him. I, I'm, I'm, I'm good on my own. Why would I want to give my worship to someone else? Why would I want to get off the throne and put him on it? It's mine. I want to sit here and I, I want people to treat me a certain way. I, I don't need him. But there's others who do not come to Christ and make him their king and make him their Lord because they're afraid he'll reject them. It's amazing, I think, how many people believe that this king of love and forgiveness and mercy, see, our king is different than any other king. We'll talk about that some later on too. Our king is different than any other king. He is a king of love and forgiveness and mercy who wants you to be a part of his kingdom. He wants to accept you. He wants you to come to him. There are those who, who, who believe that they, their guilt it keeps them away. I'm too sinful. There's no way that he will accept me. God can take away all sins. Jesus, that king, can forgive all, and his blood can wash all away. And the thing is, who is Jesus Christ to you today? Is he your king? Is he your Lord? Today I want to encourage you to make him your king to bow down before him and make him your king. Today, if you're not a part of his kingdom, if you've not yet been baptized for mission of your sins, not yet named him as Lord, do that and make him your king. He, the king wants you to be his, or today you may have been someone who at one point in time named him to be your king and, and become a Christian, and, but during that time you realize you've replaced him on the throne with something else or something else that has taken his spot. Well, I, I want to encourage you today to put him back on that throne 
and start over. This church family would love to pray for you and encourage you. If we can help you in your walk with the King, would you come now while we stand, while we sing?